Welcome to another episode of the Fix Your Plate podcast on the Eat, Drink, and Dine Network. I'm Anella Malik. I'm here with my co-host, KJ Kearney of Black Food Fridays, and we're excited to get into it today. So as you know, you can find us on all the socials. Find me under Feed the Malik. Find KJ at Black Food Fridays. And we are happy to get into any of the questions or comments you have about the episodes. I love it when folks listen to an episode and reach out to me. And I've had a few good comments from the last two episodes via Instagram DM. So come and say what's up. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you've been wondering about the podcast. And we'll probably get into it in the future. But today, KJ, what are we getting into today? We're getting into time value money. Specifically speaking, <laughs> specifically speaking, uh, Anella and I, and I, and I have to give credit where credit is due. Anella is the one who put this bug in my ear. And ever since she did, I've been thinking about it a lot. And we've been talking about as creators, not feeling like these apps are giving us the protection that we need in Anella's uh, position specifically, or um, the return on investment just isn't as high for the amount of hours that we have to put in. And we've both consciously decided and told our followers that we are going to be spending a little less time on the other apps and a little bit more time developing our Patreon. So we're going to start off the episode by talking about that. And then on the back end, we're going to talk some travel things, if y'all don't mind. Then first and foremost, Anella, since you put me on the Patreon, let me let me ask you, what made you decide when you started your Patreon? What made you decide to go that route in the first place? So my audience suggested it. And this is because I went from being a hobby blogger to a full timer in like a week, right? I was quitting my job. And so I had to figure out very quick how to take something that hadn't really been monetized and monetize it. And my audience suggested my Patreon. And I'll be frank, maybe the first six to 10 months, I did share in Patreon and I tried to post regularly, but it didn't take up the majority of my time and it didn't really become the focus of my attention because as a new business owner, I was focused on not drowning, <laughs> right? Like I was focused on getting myself to a point where I could pay my salary or like pay myself at all, um, doing all of those things that you have to do when you're an entrepreneur. And now that I'm in a slightly better place. I've had time to step back and think about what do I really want to be working on? What matters to me as a creator? What's the kind of environment and community I want to build? Um, and that's what has led me to really reinvest in my Patreon as a safe space, but also as a way to create the kinds of things that I want to create. So what kind of things do you want to create that you don't feel either comfortable sharing on the open platforms that exist or that you don't want to share with them? So I would say that there's a lot of things that I would love to share on Instagram and TikTok if I felt like I was able to. And I, I don't feel like I'm able to for a variety of reasons because I'm the target of persistent trolling and harassment. Um, but also because, frankly, if I share them in Patreon, because Patreon is a, play, a paid platform, it's a paid subscription service, it allows me the space to, for example, take six hours and work on a project and not feel like, oh, I'm losing money in those six hours. And so when I do you know, content on Instagram that takes a long time because I'm really interested in more thoughtful projects on sustainability and food and climate change, which is a package I'm working on for my Patreon folks now, 
if I, if I just put that up on Instagram, but I take a lot of time on it and I'm thoughtful with it the way that I want to be thoughtful with it, that's a lot of hours um, as a business owner to give away for free. And right now I'm just not in the position to give that away for free. So there is, of course, the, the benefit to the paid subscription is that it, it gives us some stability, but also in my experience thus far, not a single troll is willing to spend the $5 a month it would take them to get into that group. And even if they did, I have the power to boot them immediately, right? Because I'm the moderator of that community. Whereas on Instagram, it's very, very different. It's much more open. So in Patreon, I'm looking towards things like sustainability and climate change and how that's going to affect us in the food space and what we can do about it. Conversations about intellectual and coastal elitism and what that means for entire regions of America like the South and also what that means for what we think about Southern food, which we've talked about a little bit on this podcast, right? Just characterizing Southern food as like a killer and unhealthy and really without any further excavation at all. All of those things I would love to talk about on Instagram, but they take research, they take time, and they're not best suited for the platform because a lot of them involve long-form writing and links to articles so that people can inform themselves, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, you said a mouthful uh, with all of that. You really did. That That is a lot. Um, you didn't ask, but I'm going to answer the question anyway. Why am I doing Patreon? Well, number one, because... When I started my Patreon, I did it as a knee-jerk reaction because I got put in time, or excuse me, today. I was on the Today Show's website, and then Mike.com and BET.com, like all, I just got a whole bunch of press at once, and I was like, well, I, uh, what if somebody wants to give me money? I think it'd be tacky for me to put my cash app in my bio, so I just make a Patreon, and that's what I did, and I treated it that way. So I started it in February, I want to say, of, of 2020, um, or 2021, excuse me. And I really hadn't touched it until maybe a month ago. And after a conversation with Anella, it was just like, bruh, I am, y'all don't know this about us, but uh, I admire Anella's work ethic because she's probably one of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. Meanwhile, I am on the opposite end of the spectrum. I want to do the least amount of work for the most amount of money. So I'm willing to take less money to, to not have to spend 40 hours a week doing something. That's just my mentality, right? And I don't, I don't think it's wrong if someone is the opposite. If you want to grind, 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 have at it, man. But my peace, my naps are more important to me. And I looked at Patreon to be specific. Uh, as it relates to this conversation, I looked at Patreon as, huh, this can actually help me work smarter. Instead of creating all this content for a platform that will decide one day, oh, you like to write long captions and have beautiful photos? Well, guess what? We don't care about that anymore, right? Like, so my whole thing kind of went away and I do enjoy writing and I do enjoy research. And those are things that me and Anella have in common. And what I found is that my Patreon subscribers, since they're paying me, they are very much interested in my thoughts outside of food. They're interested in the deep dives that I took. Um, by the time you guys listen to this, uh, my last, my most recent exclusive post for Patreon is live. And I take 2,000 words to describe 
other bread pairings that should go with fried chicken, right? Like that's something I just can't do on Instagram. And I have the comfort in the space to do it there. And I'm excited for the, the writing that's going to take place. And I like the feedback that I'm getting from my followers. It's like, I don't know, Anella, if this is the same for you, but I get what I would determine as real feedback from my Patreon subscribers. Do you know what I'm saying? Or am I talking out of my behind? I mean, I feel like I understand what you're saying. So social media can be very surface level. And for example, I will post something that's like, do not comment about my weight. And then there'll be a long thread about (laughs) the bikini industrial complex, fat phobia, you know, all of this, like, and like all, all input into the caption, a lot of information about bias and also how a lot of this bias is like not medically founded, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'll just, there'll be like 50 comments on Instagram. You look great. And I'm like, Oh God, you know, sometimes it's, it's really difficult because I'm like, you didn't read it, but also, you know, ours are, desire for everything to be so surface level really obscures in my view the conversations that are can be really important whereas on patreon i'll ask for example what do you want to learn about food and sustainability because i'm going to be researching this and putting links together and kind of putting together something thoughtful that we can consider together people will ask real questions right they'll say I want to be more sustainability in the way that I sustainable in the way that I purchase food for my family, but I'm worried about rising costs. So how do I balance the two? Are there ways that I can do that? And so like, that's a thoughtful question that they, they really engage with the topic and I get feedback like that on Patreon as well. So I've, I don't know about you Anella, but uh, since I made a bold declaration a couple of weeks ago or last week that I'm okay with not being really good at all the apps, Um, I've been having a lot of people hit me up about my experience with Patreon. And so if you don't mind, I want to ask you one or two of the questions that I've received just so you can give your feedback because you've been doing, um, Patreon a lot longer than I have. Uh, I have my own opinions. I will insert them, but I really want to hear your thoughts on these two questions in particular. All right. And y'all, this is live and direct. Well, it's not live when you're hearing this, but she has no clue what I'm asking her. So these are real thoughts coming from her brain, not not pre-recorded thoughts. Okay. So first thing that people have been asking me is uh outside of why I decided to do Patreon, they've been asking me like what can they expect? Right? Like okay, if I join Patreon and I decide that I'm going to try to shift people to this platform, what can I expect? Um which is a very vague question. I have to ask follow-up questions. So I'm just going to give you the vague question. And if you need follow-up, I will give you some of the follow-up questions that I've asked my followers when they hit me up. But like, so just in general, what can people expect if they ever decide to start their own Patreon account? So this is specifically if like it's a creator who wants to start their own Patreon, right? Correct. Creators. Okay. So first and foremost, that you are going to be building an entirely new community and platform similar to whatever happened when you first started on Instagram or Twitter or TikTok. You have to define your offerings. You have to think about what you can provide to your community that's valuable, that you're willing to work on over the long term because it's going to take work. Um, Think about your 
particular unique perspective and your voice, right? What do you want to share that's important to you? And I say that's important to you because fundamentally, you're going to have to nurture that audience for it to be successful. So you're going to have to work on it over the long term. So please pick something that is important to you, that you're truly interested in, that you can talk about over a long period of time. And expect some pushback. We are used to getting everything for free. And people do not like when you put your content behind a paywall. Um, And I I think there's really no way around it, right? It's really hard to monetize on Instagram right now because the platform's so saturated, reach is down for everyone, et cetera, et cetera. And creators are looking for another way to sustain themselves. But we are in a digital culture where people are used to getting everything for free. People don't even like paying for regular legacy news anymore. People don't even like subscribing to the New York Times. So you will get some pushback from people when you ask them to subscribe for a dollar, two dollars, five dollars. And you have to really think about what your strategic offering is that can differentiate you from the New York Times. And mine is that, A, I only really talk about food in Patreon, food from the perspective of history, politics, culture, equity, but also that I deliberately aim to center marginalized voices. And whether that's my own writing or drawing in articles and podcasts that really speak to the perspectives of women and indigenous folks, et cetera, right? Like I am very deliberate in that sourcing. And that's what, that's what differentiates me from the times. Um, And that I'm a content creator that you might get a long form piece from me, but the next week you might get an original video that's popping, right? Because I can do all of that. But you're going to have to define your offering and really, really root it in something that is important to you over the long term in order to be successful as a creator trying to monetize on Patreon or create a Substack, any of these paid subscription platforms. Another question that I've received is, is it worth it? Is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak? (laughs) So I think this answer really depends on your positionality. KJ, I know you're serious about Black Fruit Fridays being a phenomena and movement and kind of cultural force over the long term, even though it's not your full-time job. I know that you're committed to the concept and to this community that you've created around it. And you're committed to it for more than just likes, right? You want to really spark conversation. You're okay sometimes even being the lightning rod in the conversation, but you think it's important to force us to think differently about our consumption and encourage us to change our patterns. For you, because it's a long-term commitment, I would say it makes sense. For myself, I'm a full-time creator. This is my career. It makes sense for me to find a way that's self-sustaining and safer. But for a casual hobbyist, I would say probably not because just like any other platform, you have to put in a lot of energy to nurture it. And I will say that, you know, if you're not already spending 10 to 12 hours a week on Instagram, it doesn't really make sense to move to a Substack or a Patreon because you're going to have to spend all of these hours to build it out. And at first, you might not have very much of a reward, which is difficult, right? It's difficult to start something entirely new. And because it's behind a paywall, it does limit your reach. 
So for example, KJ, I know you're doing the same thing. I'm never going to just delete my Instagram unless I'm like really quitting, quitting, right? I want to share about small businesses on Instagram because that gives the business the best chance for exposure. I want to share about my community on TikTok because that has the best chance for other people to learn about it. I'm only taking the things from TikTok, from Twitter, from Instagram that are personal and long form and more nuanced and moving them to Patreon because it's a better platform, just like a Substack allows you to write, you know, longer form things and incorporate interviews and all of these things. But there will always be a place for social media. And I think people who are just looking for a quick buck, honestly, it's way, way more lucrative to pursue brand deals and sponsored content. Like I'm taking a risk trying to step back from sponsored content because I know how much money I can make in that direction. And I know that five, six figures is right there. But to me, it's not worth it because of the trolling and because I would like to have more control over what I say. For every video I make for Pepsi, I've never worked with Pepsi, which is why I'm using this example because it like doesn't affect any of my relationships. But for every video that I make for Pepsi, all of those hours negotiating, all of those hours creating the video, writing the copy, editing the video, getting it cleared, and then physically posting it because I still have to do it by hand, all of those hours are hours that I can't spend talking about sustainability and climate change, which is what I'm working on this week for my Patreon. And so for me, I'm taking a big financial risk and a business risk, but I think it'll work out because I've done the math and I'm lucky enough to already have kind of a core Patreon group that can float me through the transition. But if someone's just like looking to make a quick buck and is like, oh, I can start making a few thousand dollars a month, I think they're sorely mistaken unless they already have a massive platform. Yeah, I think that's one of the big things that I have been telling people who have hit me up about my Patreon or my decision to invest more time in the Patreon is that unless lightning strikes, bro, you're not getting rich off this tomorrow. Uh, you may never get rich off this. Let's be clear. I'm right? say, or ever. Yeah, you may never get rich off this because the platform is for your died hard fans. Not your casual fans, right? Instagram and Twitter is where your casual fans rely, um, or that's where they reside, excuse me, not rely. Your Patreon and even YouTube, YouTube allows now you to subscribe financially to some cre creators, right? So there are platforms that are getting with the times, but on those platforms, those people are more dedicated. They're going to expect more from you, bro. Like they're not going to be happy. That's, I lost some people between February and now and with good reason because I didn't nurture that environment that I created I just let it do what it do and that I did a disservice to those people so I'm not mad at them so my goal now is to earn their trust back by keep being consistent and creating this content and it's going to take a lot of time you know I have a number that I would like to reach I am nowhere near that number in terms of subscribers but like Anella said, we're in this for the long game. So fortunately, I don't need this to live tomorrow. Uh, but that's the advice that I would give to anyone who's thinking about doing this is that you can do it. Like anyone can start a Patreon, just like anyone can start an Instagram account. Uh, but if people are going to be paying you money, they're going to be expecting you to bring your best self more often than not. And if you're not willing to do that work, then I would, I'm with Anella. I would just advise you 
go ahead and leave that alone, bro. Just try to get those brand deals. Now, here's a, a follow-up, Anella. Is there anything wrong with doing both? Can I develop a Patreon and try to get Pepsi to give me some money? So, yes, you can. And, for example, I do both right now. I cannot make a living just off of Patreon. I could just make a living off of brand deals. Like, that's probably the smarter option or the faster option, but would require me to give up on digging into things that I think are important. So I'm doing both. It's very possible. But I would say for someone just starting out, and I always I always recommend to newer folks in any space, any media space, focus on one thing at a time. Focus on getting really good at one thing at a time. You, I, I will say this over and over, you will drown if you try to master TikTok, Instagram, and Patreon at the same time. Become really good at one thing. And then when you're really good at it and you feel so much less pressure when you're trying to do it because you understand it and it's kind of become almost second nature, then add on another thing. But if you're trying to do both at the beginning, it's not going to work. Uh, with that being said, um, I just want to say, say thank you to my, as of today, 41 subscribers. You guys mean the world to me. I really do appreciate y'all especially because the majority of them have rocked with me even when I was neglecting them. So I do want to say I, I appreciate every single one of you who are on board now and those of you who will be joining because I am dedicated to creating more content. I think, Anella, one of the biggest takeaways of what you said so far that really resonates with me is the ability to create what you want, bro, right? Like without fear of it being taken down or uh reported right like i i, I have a homegirl who put up a post that i thought was very reasonable right about black lives matter and someone flagged it on instagram and her joint got taken down and i'm like it happens so often and this almost happened to you if i'm not mistaken it happened so often she lost her instagram account it's happened to me multiple times and it's happened to me. I've had sponsored content flagged and taken down, even though think about the process sponsored content goes through. It gets reviewed by the brand. We have all these legal requirements. Like I'm not out here willy nilly posting random dangerous stuff like and all my sponsored content is for food. But at least in my experience, when the trolls find you and the racists find you, they tell all their friends. So you'll go through this really intense few periods where it'll be two to three weeks and it'll just be awful, awful online. And it's always for me in one of those periods when I start having content taken down and it's because they're reporting it over and over. And yeah, eventually I could be deplatformed. Um, that's a risk. I, you know, I've managed to build up a following on TikTok that is actually larger than my Instagram now. And I hate TikTok. I only did that as a security measure because I knew my Instagram was at risk because I knew I was being targeted. Damn, that's deep. I didn't know that, you know. I did not know that that's why you invested so much time in the into the TikTok. This is exclusive information, y'all. I mean, I had my profile taken down four or five times in a week and I got it back, but that was a clear sign to me that it wasn't a safe space. And I have seen just like we have an early episode with uh Lid Flutters, Christine, remember? And she she was being sent death threats and rape threats on yeah. Instagram. And whenever she decided to defend herself, she would get flagged. She would get in trouble. 
And so I'm like, we can't rely on these platforms. Um, though, again, I will say, if you're just starting out, pick one thing, get good at it, and then think about, you know, a, a second pillar as a security measure. That's very good. Very good advice. I hope anyone who's listening and is a creator or even a maker. I mean, for makers, I think it's a little different of a conversation because you could be offering products at different tiers. So like uh, I have a homegirl who makes some of the best soap I've ever used in my life. And she's thinking about creating a Patreon. And, you know, we're going to be talking shortly, but I'm going to tell her she should do it. And specifically because, you know, at $25, $50 a month, she could be sending them sales, right? Well, she could be making sales, so to speak, and sending them actual product. For people like you and I who are creators, our product is our mind and what comes from our mind. So it, it's a little different, but the concept, I think, overall is still the same. Yeah, tell her she should structure it like a soap subscription. Mm. So three different tiers, you get three different things. And then she just gets their address when they sign up and she mails it out each month. But then she'll know in advance how many customers she has. Come on, and man. it's a great way to estimate how much supplies she needs to buy. Yep, 100%. I'm sure she's going to be listening to this. Andrea at Motherland Essential, she always listens to our podcast. So I'm sure she'll listen to this. It'll be a pleasant surprise when she does. All right, y'all, we're going to take a little bit of a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about travel. Anella is in the great state of Arkansas right now. And uh, yeah, you heard me right, Arkansas. And so I want to hear a little bit about her trip after the other side of the break. I'm so glad you're with us listening today because today I have a very special advertisement that I want to do that's totally pro bono. I'm just doing it because I want to do it. So maybe more of a shout out, but instead of plugging my own Patreon, which yes, the link will be in the show description. You should check it out. Come and join me. But more importantly, a big part of my platform is trying to uplift marginalized voices and to support independent makers and creators. So today I'm showing up to support my video editor, Kate who has truly upped my content game. She is absolutely fabulous. And she is based in Portugal. She is seamless to work with. And I cannot thank her enough for the work that she's done with me. So if you're looking for a video editor, someone who really gets social media, who understands the nuances of each platform and can make your content shine, definitely reach out to Kate. It's kate at plusfreedomproject.com. I will also put her email in the description. And like I said, this is just a shout out because she is a contractor and a service provider that I found a few months ago that I cannot imagine trying to do what she does. She makes me look so good. And all I have to do is film a few clips. I upload them to the cloud with a little bit of notes and it comes back beautiful and polished in no time. So if you're looking for a video editor, definitely hit up Kate. What's going on, everyone? This is your friendly neighborhood, Charlestonian KJ Kearney. I am the founder and curator of a platform called Black Food Fridays. And as you've heard in this episode, I'll be taking my talents to Patreon. I just uploaded my first exclusive essay. There's five other bread options that I think we should be pairing with chicken and waffles, right? Like chicken and waffles is great, but there's some other bread out there that we need to show love to. And I go in depth, not only about the history of chicken and waffles, 
but in depth about the other bread options that I think we should be lifting up. So please, if you're interested, go to patreon.com, search for Black Food Fridays. You can start at $5 a month, but I'm not going to let the Lord tell you what you can and cannot do. So if you are blessed and you want to bless me with more, you feel free to do so. Again, this is KJ, the founder of Black Food Fridays. You can find me at Patreon, at Black Food Fridays. Looking forward to build with you there. All right, y'all. Welcome back to the Fix Your Plate podcast. I'm KJ Kearney with my co-host, Anella Malik. Uh, the first half, we talked about Patreon, our experiences, and answered some questions that people have been sending us. And at this last part of the, the episode, I'm going to kind of sit back and let my homie do her thing because her and her husband have gone on an amazing, at least it looks amazing from Instagram, on an amazing road trip from Washington, D.C. to Northwest Arkansas. And I know some of you are listening like, why on earth? Would they take two days to drive across the country to go to Arkansas? I want to know that, too. And that's why I'm going to open up the floor for Anella to talk about her experience. And I'm going to go ahead and shut up. Anella, why are you and your husband in northwest Arkansas? Okay, so we are planning to leave D.C. hopefully soon. We, frankly, are being priced out. And I say that pretty honestly as to dual income, pretty high earning individuals with no kids. But uh, the median home price in D.C. is $1.1 million. And it just seems outrageous for us to even try to keep up with that. And we could. We could make it work. And But it feels like it would be a never-ending rat race. We would always be taking on more projects. We would always be trying to get promoted. We would always be staying late just because the cost of living is so high and the cost of housing is so high. And we have student loans. So in our search for a new home, we made a list of criteria and we started Googling. And every single time we Googled, Northwest Arkansas came up. And I'll be honest, we were like, why? Why? But Ahmed and I both have an attitude that we should make time in our lives persistently over and over again, because it, it, they'll come up over and over to acknowledge our own biases and challenge them. And so we know that we have some coastal elite bias, that we definitely have some anti-Southern bias. And that's not personal. That's just a result of, you know, our, our cultural system. <laughs> and so we said, well, Google says it's on point for what we're looking for. So we gonna check it out. And we drove here because um, my husband wanted to race in this very prominent bike race here. So we drove with the bikes. He raced. We've been here for over a week now. I think total it'll be 10 days when we leave. And it's really nice, y'all. Guess what? Google was right. Amazing nature. Amazing cycling. Food scene is, I would say, for a region this size, punches way above its weight and is growing. It's pretty strong. People are super kind. Um, it is not empty, not backwards, not any of the things that people online have been shouting at me about for the past week, because a lot of people were really surprised when I said, oh, we're going to Arkansas to check it out. And I think that speaks to how in our culture, we tend to write off A, middle America, B, all of the South, just as a whole, 
such an incredibly broad and diverse region, we just tend to be like, oh, it's the South. And how we also tend to assume that coastal cities or the Northeast is superior when, I mean, that's just elitism, frankly. So we did have some of those biases, but Ahmed and I both know that, you know, often those are just messages we've been taught unconsciously throughout our lives. And we wanted to, to put that aside and see what it was really like here. So my biggest question is, are the Walmarts in Northwest Arkansas nicer than Walmarts anywhere else? Yeah. So Walmart was founded here. Uh, if you didn't know that. And I haven't been in one here actually, but they do look nicer. I mean, they just look really nice. And I will say that the the Walton Family Foundation has invested a lot in this community. So that is part of why this region has, I think, ranked so highly. Fayetteville has been voted one of the top 10 places to live in America multiple years in a row. And there's been a lot of investment building bike trails, you know, designing like cute little downtown redevelopment projects and all of these things that make this region attractive to uh, outsiders and something like 33 people move to this region every day. There's a strong job market. There's all the things that we were Googling for when we were trying to figure out where to live. Right. But I do want to say about food in particular, kind of related to food is that a lot of people were really shocked when I said that we wanted to come here and they're like, what could possibly be good there? First of all, what kind of BS weird crap statement is that? Yeah, that's weird. That's a weird statement, I, I must say. But I also think it speaks to our sense of elitism if you come from the coast or from a larger city. And so those same people who were making commentary like that were heavily directing me, oh, you should just move to Portland, move to Portland, because we did also explore Portland. And Ahmed's family's from there. In our estimation, the food here is as good as Portland, y'all. It is a dynamic space. You know, there are lots of diverse people here and there's lots of people here doing cool stuff and food as I suspect there are in most places. And so it's just interesting to me because I view the Portland kind of commentary in food. Maybe, maybe it's a result of like Portland's cultural cachet um, in our pop culture. The fact that we had Portlandia, Portland has a really kind of outsized food media presence, but you know, who, who determines like what place is known for good food? Like we know that food media has been largely white <laughs> for a long time, largely dominated by male voices for a long time. So I'm not saying, you know, all food in Portland is shit. I'm just saying that maybe we should take the reputations of these cities that have been shaped by legacy food institutions with a grain of salt. That's real. Is there another city that you guys are eyeing that people may be like, what? We're eyeing Tucson. Um, it's a UNESCO food heritage city. And for cycling, seems like it would be good. So right, I'm usually, I'm the one who's like, we need good food. And Ahmed's like, we need good cycling. So we're trying <laughs> to balance the two. <laughs> right, right. Um, but there's a lot of places on our list, right? We have this huge list and we're trying not to become overwhelmed with options and just we tell ourselves like if we find a place that really seems like it fits, we should just make the choice and not we'll, we, we will go absolutely bonkers if we decide that we have to investigate all 50 places on our list before we make a decision. Mm -hmm. um, 
but there Actually, are, you know, Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah, Asheville's pretty dope. Pretty dope, great food. Yeah. Um, lots of places that I think. We've heard a lot of good things about Tulsa, actually, that the food scene there is also growing mm-hmm. um, and that there is like a pretty strong cycling community there. So, you know, but if I if I just put on Instagram a poll like Tulsa or Portland, Northwest Arkansas or Portland, people will be all up in my DMs talking all sorts of ish about any place that's not a largely white, close to the coast city. I feel you. I think Northwest, I'm going to be honest with you. You made me think about visiting Arkansas. Like it's never been a thing that I've really, It's beautiful. Yeah. But I would never live there because I'm from basically the ocean. And yeah. <laughs> I need seafood, bro. Like I don't want my seafood to be shipped 17 hours inland, bro. Like I'm not, I'm not with that. But outside of that, it does sound like a dope place to visit. A place that I want to visit that I I get a lot of eyebrows raised when I say it is Jackson, Mississippi. My dad is from a, a small town in Tennessee that's not too far from Jackson. And every time we visited his hometown, we've never went. But, you know, I graduated from an HBCU. They have a very prominent HBCU there, Jackson State. If I'm not mistaken, Lots they're history mayor. there. Yeah, a lot of history, definitely a lot of history there. And, you know, I love black history. And if I'm not mistaken, the mayor is like black in my age. You know what I mean? Like he's a young mayor. Like it's so for me, it's like, why wouldn't I want to go to a city that's full of black people and has a black college and a black mayor? And they're in Mississippi. So the food has to be good. Like, I, and maybe I, I'm being biased or making an assumption, but there's no way that food in Mississippi isn't good. Like, I just can't see that actually being a thing. Yeah, I wonder. So so this is something that I wonder about, because I do think at least my experience in having lived in the north and lived on the west coast is that those are parts of the country where they tend to just be like Ugh, the south. And I've had people say it to me from D.C., oh, you're going to Arkansas. I would never think about living in the south. There's nothing there. And I'm like, have you been to I mean, I guess Virginia is the south, but it's also considered by many people to be kind of part of this broader, you know, mid-Atlantic D.C., adjacent region mm-hmm. i'm like have you driven 45 minutes outside of dc there ain't nothing there right what what makes this place so special that we would write off an entire region and i do part of me has to say think that it's because the majority of black people live in the south in america mm-hmm. yeah we can say i have i have literally seen this online in recent days because of what's happening in texas And, you know, politics in the South right now can be a little scary depending on where you are. But I have seen people say, white people, it's time to just cut off the South. It's time to let go of the South. And I'm like, you do realize that, like, a lot of what's happening in local politics in the South is the result of voter suppression, gerrymandering, all of these other things. But there are strong and vibrant minority communities there that if we just cut off the South, we just abandon them. And part of me has to think that we're so quick to abandon them because they're black communities. That's a good point. Also, as someone who is Southern and lives in the South, I would challenge how much connection y'all have to us in the first place. Like if you cut off South Carolina, I don't know how many people in South Carolina will notice that you cut us off. Like the audacity to think that you saying 
I'm never coming to South Carolina or I'm never coming to Mississippi. I'm never going to Georgia again. It's going to affect any of the people who live there. I think kind of speaks to the coastal or big city elitism that you're referring to. We ain't thinking about y'all. Like, in fact, like you talked about Arkansas, how 33 people there are, or 33 people a day are moving there. I'm going to say right now, don't come to Charleston. We're full. Like literally 30 to 50 people a day are moving to the Charleston metro area, AKA the great state of Charleston every day. 50 of y'all are coming here and like so we can't be that bad right like arkansas can't be that bad south carolina can't be that bad if y'all keep leaving your coastal elite centers and moving down here the cost of living is great compared to where you are the food is way better i'll fight anybody over that and and at least for charleston we got beaches we got beaches and rivers and all that stuff now i don't know about the cycling you know, so I mean, I Arkansas has Northwest Arkansas has the best cycling in the nation. I see. I, there I, you I go. Hearing. I mean, I, I saw some I'm a I'm not a cyclist, but I saw some cycling infrastructure here that even I was like, that's fucking cool. Right. Right. Do they have one of those? Uh, it's a call a velodrome. They don't like have a, a velodrome, but uh-huh. they do have tr- trails that have vending machines on the side of the trail that you can use your credit card on that have you know the sports performance goose yeah. snacks and like bike tools and stuff and i was oh, like i can swipe cute. my credit card for a goo and we on a trail you can't even do that in dc <laughs> <laughs> that's so all real. that's to say i would like to emphasize in this current political moment that we can get really, really enraged about what's happening in parts of the country, and we should be, and we should use that rage to take action to make it better for the people who live there, not write off entire communities as if they're undeserving of our attention, our empathy, or our humanity. Mm. And with that being said, we're going to end on that high note. That was a wonderful mic drop. This is KJ Kearney of Black Food Fridays. You just heard from the great Anella Malik of Feed the Malik. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Fix Your Plate podcast on the Eat, Drink, and Dine network. Uh, Anella, you already gave your shout outs, but do you want to give another one before we go? Shout out to a man named Alex. Um, so our very first day, our first morning, we like checked in the Airbnb, went to sleep, woke up in the morning, pedaled down to the coffee shop, which is right down the street. And I go in to get a coffee for us. And by the time I come out, Ahmed is talking to some man from here who was so nice and they exchanged numbers and then emails and then last night we went to dinner with Alex and his wife and we're out like having pizza having a great time at like 10 p.m and we're old that's a lot for us mm-hmm. and so shout out to Alex but also all of the other people that we've met this past 10-day period that like him were super kind and welcoming and honestly you can tell really really love this region and they want other people to love it too Mm, that's real. Um, I don't really have any shout outs right now. Oh, that's not true. I want to give a shout out to all these black owned companies that are sending me tea. If you guys don't know, I love tea. I absolutely love tea, specifically loose leaf. I, I love the ritual of like opening the jar, smelling it, using my teaspoon to scoop it, like the, the boiling of the water. I love all of it. And so the Bruja Market in Fort Worth, which is owned by a black and Puerto Rican woman, she just sent me a bunch of teas. Um, Wayne with the Ashford Tea Co. in Savannah just sent me some stuff. 
and I have some other things on the way for some other people, but those were already in. So I wanted to give them a shout out. And if you want to send me tea and you have a black owned tea, loose leaf tea company, hit your boy up in the DMS. I'll send you the PO box. This has been our episode. Thank y'all so much for listening. Of course you can follow Anella at feed the Malik on TikTok, on Instagram. And of course, her Patreon. I'm KJ. You can follow me at black food Fridays on TikTok, on Instagram, and on Patreon. And until next time, peace.